We're in the middle of a series on faith, and we're uh, exploring the ideas of what does it mean to live out our faith in a variety of contexts. So we've talked about um, faith in a rational world where science uh, is very important. We've talked about faith in the environment of work, faith in education. Today we're going to be talking about faith in ministry. Remember, we've, um, <clears throat> we've said several times that faith in our culture, in our mindset, we've been raised often that faith has a lot to do with what we believe. It's, a, it's how we frame our, our thoughts, which is good. It's not bad. Nothing wrong with that. So we talk about faith as far as I believe in the Trinity. But faith is a lot more than that. Faith, true faith, is where a belief that you have moves beyond that into the whole concept of action. And we talked about that from James. So we're going to get into that today. But first, Tom. I would like to thank all of you for the opportunity and privilege I've been to serve at Dillon Community Church for the last three years as your student ministries director. I've enjoyed serving along all of you. As Katie and I have looked towards the future, we've started to ask the question, what would it look like? After much thought, prayer, and guidance, we decided that God might be calling us elsewhere. After three months of Katie and I discussing what it might look like, we stepped out on faith and decided to apply for a job in Illinois. After interviewing, visiting, and candidating, we've accepted the decision. We will begin in the middle of February, and it is with much sadness as well as excitement for Katie and I that I tendered my resignation last weekend. My last day will be February 17th. Again, I'd like to thank all of you for the opportunity to serve alongside you and the church for the cause of Christ. Katie and I have loved our three years here at Dillon Community Church, and I ask God for guidance for us in our transition, but as well as for you in your transition there. In the last service, I told them that I had a professor of mine that said that when you're up there teaching or preaching, that from time to time it gets really quiet. It's either because the Holy Spirit's speaking or you're boring. Your job is to figure out which it is. And uh, Tom, I'm not sure if that applause is because uh, they're glad to see you go or they're celebrating what God has done. <laughs> no, we're grateful for what God has done. I know that this is a shock probably to some of you. You weren't expecting this, especially given that our church has gone through some turmoil in the past, people coming and going and pastoral staff. I don't know that because... Tom's the first one under my reign, but, but you guys know that. You've had pastors come and go, and so we want to talk about that with you today. Where do we go from here? Uh, just by way of an announcement, tonight it's listed as Tom and Mark, but it's actually not quite that way. Mark and Tim Glasgow and I will be there with the uh, pa uh, parents and the students in the student ministries to talk more about this. So 6 o'clock, I think it is. Right. So it's in your bulletin. So come. Come. Let's have a conversation about this. So... We picked the series, uh, when Mark and I and Tom designed the series and laid it out, Faith and Ministry, we knew that this would be coming. We had a good idea. And so we specifically designed talking about ministry today because we knew that Tom would be announcing his resignation publicly. So I want to raise some questions with you about how our faith relates to ministry as a church. What does that look like? 
So the first question I want to ask is, who decides when it is time for a pastor to leave a church? Who decides that? It's easy to say God. Jesus is usually the answer to every question in church, right? (laughs) And yet it's very popular to point to a variety of other reasons. Um, Various studies that have been done show that the average youth pastor changes churches every two years. So therefore, they must be pretty uncommitted, those darn millennials. It's easy to come to that conclusion, isn't it? But before you go too far down that road, the average senior pastor changes churches every three and a half years. I hope you're not thinking that about Mark. (laughs) (laughs) So pastoral transition is actually the norm. It's the norm. Many churches, uh, many denominations actually change their pastors on a regular basis. That's a pretty common thing to do. As many of you know that my grandmother is uh, 98, soon to be 99. Uh, her days are numbered. I don't know how well they are. All mine are too, but I mean, she's getting near the end of her numbered days, and she knows it. So she calls me up recently, and she said, I've been sitting here thinking about my funeral, my memorial service. And I said, are you getting ready to die? And she said, not yet, not yet. I said, okay. She said, um, <clears throat> I don't like the current pastor that I have. And she said, but that's okay, because this pastor will be gone in three years. What's the implication? I'm going to outlive the pastor. Okay? I hope that's true. So she said, so I was thinking about it, and, uh, and it dawned on me, hey, my grandson's a pastor. She said, will you do my funeral? I said, yes, Grandma, I'll do, be glad to do your funeral. Just remember that I get the last word. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually very common that pastoral staff change over. It's programmed in many denominations. In our tradition as an independent church, it's not. And so sometimes it feels a little uncomfortable and a little awkward. So the question is, why why do they do that? Now, I realize that some pastors leave for various internal reasons, uh, a little bit of conflict, perhaps, perhaps, something like that. In fact, um, our last pastoral shift um, as many of you know that we're here, had some tension to it, didn't it? Bumps in the road, things like that. After I got here, uh, Brian Myers and I were having coffee one day. We've had coffee along the way several times. And I mentioned to him that um, I had gone in, I was vice president at Denver Seminary, and I'd gone into my boss's office on a Thursday, and I said, thanks for this great job. It's wonderful. I love it. It's just perfect. It's just not for me. So here's my letter of resignation and surprised the Denver Seminary and the board and resigned my position. I said, I want to go get back into pastoral ministry. That's where my heart is. And so that was on Thursday. On Sunday, I get two texts from this congregation saying our senior pastor just resigned. Are you interested? And uh, of course, it made me chuckle. And I wrote back, it's funny you should ask. We should get together and talk. So I was telling the story to Brian over coffee. And Brian just started laughing. He said, so even in the turmoil, uh, my departure was orchestrated by the Lord so that you would be, you would be blessed. And we both just laughed because we're pastors. That's how it goes. I tell my staff, you can leave for lots of reasons, just don't do it for moral reasons. <laughs> All right? And so that's just part of life. This is part of what the Lord does. Are we willing to live out our faith in these situations? 
That's the question I want to pose to you. Is God still sovereign? I'm going to take a look for just a moment in Ephesians 4, which addresses some of these questions, because these questions are important in the life of a church. If we had a church that had a tradition of rotating pastors in, we wouldn't be answering these questions, but we don't. So it's important for us as a congregation to explore this. Ephesians 4, verse 11 is a very well-known verse. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. This passage reveals right here that Christ himself gave us to you as a gift. This is the Lord's work. By the way, this is consistent with 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, and then these other gifts. This suggests that Christ has a discretion of how these gifts are deployed and when they move on. That's what it suggests. Now, these gifts in Ephesians 4, they look a little different than all of the other gifts mentioned in the New Testament. Many of the gifts are very much character-related, mercy, things like that, leadership. Um, but these gifts seems to be gifts of people. Um, and you've heard Mark and I say many times, we love being a gift. We want to be a gift. The entire pastoral staff thinks that way. We want to be a gift. That means that we belong to the Lord, and the Lord can use us any way he, any way he desires. In fact, if you ask Tom and Katie, and I really encourage you to do that, sit down and have coffee with them, uh, fill up their schedule over the next three and a half weeks or whatever it is. Now, go have coffee with them. Talk to them. Ask them about the journey. You will find that, that God has been working on both of them for quite some time with our blessing. He appropriately came to Mark first last fall and talked it through with Mark. And then in December, early December, he came and talked to me about it. And uh, so we knew it was going on. You know, in many churches, you don't have the freedom to go to the senior pastor and say, I think God might be leading me someplace else. Things happen that you don't necessarily like when you make those kind of statements. And so we have created a culture where we are most interested in being faithful and living out our faith. So Tom felt the safety to come to us and say, this is what I'm thinking. So I immediately, as I always do, brought Tim Glasgow into it and said, here's what's going on. And so we all just rejoiced and praised the Lord. How often do you get to see the Lord actually work? We see it all the time. We just don't recognize it. I think there's several places where we see it. Job says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. On Friday, Dorothy, it's so good to have you with us worshiping. On Friday, we celebrated Merle. Many of you were there. I am absolutely convinced that watching a baby move from the womb to life and watching somebody move from old creation to new creation are equally uh, reflective of God's sovereignty and his gracious work. We saw a miracle. Well, changing pastors is one of those times when the Lord steps in. In fact, when Tom was, uh, the vote was last Sunday, he got a unanimous vote, by the way. I told him I didn't even get a unanimous vote, you know? And uh, so on Saturday, Tom and I were talking, and I said, Tom, how does it, how are, you, how are you prepared for tomorrow? He says, you mean the vote? I said, no, I wasn't thinking of that. I was thinking of the Holy Spirit speaking into your life. God's about to make a statement. And he goes, well, how's he going to do that? And I said, through a vote. <laughs> it's not just a vote. The Lord can help all of you come to the conclusion that you like me or you don't. 
That's the Lord speaking. And so this is not a statement of just accident. It's not. This is a statement about the Lord speaking. We have watched the Lord do something greater. I'm glad that you applauded that. You applauded Tom. So this raises the question, where does the real stability in our church come from? If you were in one of those traditions that cycles in pastors on a frequent basis, some frequency, you would have already come to the conclusion that it's based on you and the leadership. I would suggest that it comes from two very important places. You and your faithfulness and godly leaders. Godly leaders. Because the elders don't cycle in and out. I mean, they cycle as far as on the board or not. But the elders are here just being a stable influence. If you are an elder presently serving or formerly serving, raise your hand. Let me see. Raise them high. I want everybody to see. Can we tell these folks thank you? Tim Morris, how long have you lived here in the county? 12 years? Tim Glasgow? Yes? If not, I'm going to make up a number. 35. Excellent. Dave Parmley? 37. All right. These are not the people that are coming and going, are they? No, this is where, this is where stability in a congregation comes from. It comes from your faithfulness, and it comes from godly leadership. By the way, that's why we are so uh, careful who we place in leadership, because of that stability. You've weathered much, haven't you, over the years? That's, as far as pastors go, that's part of it. That's part of life. We are gifts, and we want to be gifts. Enjoy us as gifts, and use us in that way. By the way, the Lord has not called me another, to another place, just in case you're asking. But he could. It's his choice. I've lived long enough to recognize the voice of the Lord. He's quiet, and I'm excited. I'm happy to be here. But this raises my next question. <clears throat> if stability comes not because I'm here or Mark is here or Tom or Annika are here, uh, if it comes because of the presence of your committed faithfulness and our elders who are here all the time, are you willing to be equipped to live out that faith? Let's don't let something like this detract us. Listen to the next verse. In fact, I'll read verse 11 again. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip, to equip. It doesn't say to do hospital visitation. It doesn't say to go pray with people. It doesn't say to do weddings and funerals. It says to equip. Now, don't get me wrong. We love doing it. We are wired for that, aren't we? We are. We're wired for it. But our primary purpose is to equip his people, that's you, by the way, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up 
until we all reach unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Our role is to equip you to live out your faith in real and genuine ways. And when the Lord thinks that I have equipped you as far as I can take you, then guess what? You get another pastor. That's the way it works. Now, granted, some of the circumstances in which that transition takes place is rocky. It shouldn't be. Let's make sure we do it right. Filled with grace, honor at what the Lord has done. Celebration. This idea of equipping, by the way, has the idea of repairing something that's broken. When you see the word used in the Gospels, it's used as a fisherman mending their nets. So they catch fish and they catch fish and all of a sudden the net tears. And so the fishermen sit down on the banks and they repair it. They prepare the net to fulfill its purpose. The implication is that when we move into the rest of the New Testament is that living out our faith is very challenging, isn't it? It's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to stand up and do what's right sometimes. Sometimes the pressure is overwhelming. It's hard to stand up and be encouraged because we see the Lord at work, isn't it? Because often we don't. At least we don't recognize it for what it is. It's hard when things don't go the way we plan and the way we want them to. And so this idea of equipping is our elders and pastors come alongside and say, let me help you. Several of you in this room, I know personally, have lost loved ones close to you. And so some of us come alongside and help you walk that journey. Some of you in this room have been laid off or are in trouble at work. I know that personally. So I look around the room. And some of us come alongside and say, let's, let's do it together. Let me show you how to make that happen. Some of you are new Christians and simply just your cage is rattled because things happen. You don't know how to respond because you're new enough in the Lord. So we come alongside and say, yeah, we've been there, done that. We know that journey. That's what equipping is all about. It means to repair what is broken. This concept of leadership that I'm talking to you about, it directly contrasted with the first century world, and I would argue with the world today, but clearly the first century world, because we're asking gifted people given to the church to serve and prepare others. In the ancient world, it was a terrible place. People in positions of leadership, they had power over you. And they took advantage of it, from the emperor to the lowest slave. In a shame and honor context, the emperor knew that he could only say emperor by demanding loyalty. But he couldn't just demand it, could he? Because you may get sick and tired of it one day. So here's what he does. Uh, I'm going to pick the wealthy people, and I'm going to give them land and gifts in exchange for their loyalty. And if you don't give me the loyalty, I'm going to take it back. Well, then you have to make sure that you stay in power. And so you did the same thing. You'd give gifts to people in return for their loyalty. None of it's based on servanthood. None of it. It's all based on, I have something to give you, but I'm not going to give it to you until you express loyalty to me. That was the structure from top to bottom. That's how they maintain loyalty for so many years. So along comes Jesus and starts his church. And then the apostle, the disciples start to write these books and they say, no, 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 no. Let's teach these people what true servanthood looks like. And that's what they did. This church itself was, the church was an entirely new 
phenomena in the ancient world, never before seen. It was ethnically mixed, Jew and Gentile. It was gifted by the Holy Spirit. It was, it was grounded in some foundational principles. When you're asked by Jesus, what is the, what's the most important commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Nobody was teaching that. In John 13, when he washed the disciples' feet, he said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. It wasn't new in God's plan, because we saw it in the Old Testament, but it was new in the ancient culture. That you love one another as I have loved you. If you do this, everyone will know that you follow me. Because no one else is doing it. It's an entirely new, entirely new command. This is why the structure of elders was put in place. Or, some, depending on your, your church background, you may have called it different things, but the idea of shared leadership. That's why it was put in place. So we had no, no dictator anymore. And the pastors and the elders in this church worked very hard to maintain a mutually edifying, beneficial structure, don't we? relationships to to be a blessing to the church so this raises my final question are you willing to send out mature trained members one of the things that excited me about this church was the very first time i preached at the amphitheater there was like six or seven hundred people i don't know they're everywhere and mark raised said if you belong to this church raise your hand and i had to look to see where the hands were and it's like, what on earth? So I asked Jude, what's the attendance like? How many members do we have? We have like 230. I said, how many visitors do we have? She goes, around 3,500 every year. You know what I thought? Sweet. <laughs> we get to influence the world. My fellow pastors around the country, when I tell them we have 3,500 visitors, they go, what? On any given Sunday, they have all their members there and maybe five visitors. During the summer, we way outnumber our, our members, don't we? It's fantastic. I realize that this church is a conduit to the world. And I am committed to the nations. You know that, don't you? I travel to Mozambique and Nepal each year and teach. I'm committed to it. I've been involved in missions for 20-something years. Cross-cultural ministry. So this church is excited. That's what we were about. Are we willing to send out mature, trained members? By the way, I think of our people that retire and move on, and yes, they do do that. I'm learning that. It's no different than sending out a missionary to someplace else. It's exactly the same. When you go all the way back to Jesus' some of his final words on the earth, what we call the Great Commission, you know it well, go and do what? Make what? Make disciples. We typically think that means make Christians. That's not what it means at all. Disciple does include, discipleship does include coming to know Christ, but it really, at its core, means making learners. So when you look in the Gospels, all of the Gospels, you don't have the record of where the disciples came to faith. All we know is at the beginning they didn't have it, and at the end they did. The closest we come may be Thomas, when he finally kneels and says, My Lord and my God, after Jesus rises from the dead. The gospel writers didn't, didn't give us that information. They present this as a journey of faith, and that's the model for what it means to make disciples. That's what it means, and that's what we were about, to make learners, to make people. Today we might say, make mentees, all right? 
to mentor people and train them. Isn't it our responsibility to prepare young men and women to move out and serve the Lord in, in whatever way they're wired by God? If you're below the age of 40, raise your hand. Look at this. We should tell them thank you. Go ahead, tell them thank you. If the older people bring us wisdom, the younger people bring us energy. And we need it, don't we? I love all these young people. By the way, let me say a brief word to the uh, people, in the young ones in student ministry, the teenagers and middle schoolers that are here. You don't have to worry. If you don't know of my love for you, you will. And Mark's as well. And the elders. We are absolutely committed. Committed to you. We'll walk with you. We'll journey alongside. It's going to be, I almost said Ted and Bob's Wild Adventure, but that's probably not the place to go. It's going to be a great adventure. We're going to learn things. Okay? We are. We're going to learn things together. This is what we are about. This is what we do. Are we willing to send out mature, trained members? This has been my passion for 30 years. I've consistently mentored people younger than me and prepared them for this very thing. In my uh, interviewing process with the transition team, I'm sure they'll remember it, and the elders, I made that very clear that I am absolutely committed to uh, training up and sending out people. If I had my way, I shouldn't say too loud, but we'd change our pastoral staff regularly. We kick them out of the nest and have them go do what God's going to do. But that's up to the Lord. Our job is to mentor and train. And so when I first got here, well, what did we do? We started working with Tom, didn't we? If Tom was here, he'd tell you. Ask him about it. Many times along the way, he'd look at Mark and me and say, when I'd make a statement, he'd look at Mark and say, did you go through this when you were a young pastor? And Mark would laugh and go, yep. Or if Mark would say something, he'd ask me the same question. Sometimes we have to hit him with a baseball bat. <laughs> Part of life. Sometimes we get to go skiing together. We do all kinds of things. But in the middle of it, we're talking about what does it mean to mature our faith in the Lord. So there is a church out there that is about to be blessed. There is. In the new elder policy manual, which the elders just approved last year, <clears throat> we talked about mentoring culture, that phrase, developing a mentoring culture as a key to leadership development. Let me read to you what it says. This is a quote. A mentoring culture is essential to the Christian faith. It's absolutely essential. If we do not do it, all those hands that just were raised, they're going to learn their values and principles from the world, and we do not want that to happen. A mentoring culture is essential to the Christian faith to reflect the nature of selfless ministry and to reproduce godly leaders from generation to generation. The process of growing in maturity involves intentionality and purpose in an experiential learning environment. What that means is we got to create a safe place where they can mis make mistakes and they can fail and they can fall and it's okay. It is not the end of the world. Those of us that are older know we've been there, haven't we? We've seen the Lord through high times, low times, thick and thin, hard times, good times. And we have to be able to help our younger people recognize it's not the end of the world. The Lord is going to teach you something. <clears throat> Once we have mentored our people, it's then up to the Lord to see how he might use them. That's his choice. I kind of like the idea of, of a portion of the congregation rotating, cycling, a revolving door. 
as long as it's because they're equipping them we're maturing them in their faith as long as it's not because we're not meeting their needs and there's a difference so where is our faith as a church where is it is it in staff is it in the longevity of our pastors or is it in the Lord you tell me are we willing to be a church that sends out people as God wills Tom come on back up as Tom comes up I'd like to invite the elders present and former staff any parents that want to come up? Any teenagers, kids in student ministry? Kids are not kids. Young adults in student ministries to come up? Well, let's pray for Tom. Katie's working, or we'd have her up here as well. We'll talk at some point down the road about how to honor them before they leave. Yeah, come on up, Ben. We have just witnessed the Lord do something really good. So let's pray. I will close this in prayer. Many of you want to leave? You want to pray? Go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for this young man that came to us years ago and has grown and matured in Christ during the time, has taught us much as well. Mm -hmm. We're thankful, Father, for his time here and wish him well going forward, knowing that it's part of your will that, that he... Um, spends his time here and now goes on to the next chapter of his life. Mm -hmm. Thank you, God, so much for Tom. Everything you do with us, Tom and Rocky and Joyce here, we thank you for the church you've built up. And Mary, this community is your own, but thank you so much for all that you've done. Tom, you have done so many for the sister of Christ and for this church and the guidance you give us as we seek the Lord and operate your heart. for you, Lord, and for me to walk away and see that you're paying attention to me and my habits and what's your heart. And I just thank you that you see my needs, what you see, thank you for all your goodness, Lord, and thank you that you just bless your name for the, the time you've had to remain for me. Amen.
Father, special thanks for Tom Fraser and the youth program here. If it wasn't for Tom and the youth program, we would not be members of this church. We just ask for a special anointing on Tom and Katie as they move forward in their ministry and uh, and a new and fresh start for them with all your protection and all of your boldness. Father, I pray for Tom and Katie as they go out. Lord, there's a uh, there's another church that's about to be blessed. Thank you for the blessing that they have been to us. Lord, um, you know our love that we have for them, and we are so grateful for them. And so I pray that as they get ready to pack and make the transition and say goodbyes and then say hellos, that you would settle them in very quickly and build good relationships, strong relationships with the next student ministry group. Thank you for what he's done for us, for blessing us with him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.